Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who continues to build his case against UT parking and transportation, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? We've had many a conversation on this podcast when, when the players express their disdain and Bijan in the offseason. Uh, we obviously know about... Uh, Ajay Hall. Uh, now Quinn Ewers getting towed during a game. I can only think um, it was Hudson Card's quarterback coach uh, moonlighting as a peach. I'm kidding. Uh, maybe someone who didn't like the first drive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Sark mentioned it in his presser. Quinn parked in the wrong spot. If that's you know, that's those growing mistakes we talk about with a freshman. You know, you got you got to learn. You got to respond. We'll see how he responds next week. If he parks in the right spot, uh, look like Keelan Robinson also got a uh, a ticket at least during the game, according to his social medias. So, um, you know, PTS continues to be the bane of all, the one thing that can unite all groups on campus. It seems wild to me that parking and transportation, like, I, and again, he, he should have parked in the right spot, but, like, it feels like the rules change constantly. Like, I didn't live in Jester, but, like, somebody parking in Jester parking when I was there, like, had to move their car at by, like, 1 a.m. on Friday nights of game nights. It was, like, all sorts of dumb rules. I'm, like, I'm, I'm just assuming that it was something like that because it's always something like that. But, um, you know, nothing is really able to unite the fan base like anti-parking and transportation takes. And so we got another one this week following uh, Texas's big win over ULM 52 to 10. Quinn Ewers was towed uh, while performing quite well in that game. So we'll talk about that. We'll break that down. Uh, we've got some uh, a quick rundown of like the state of the Big 12 and what happened in the opening week. We'll obviously down the 40 some news. We didn't get to talk about last week. We'll talk about uh, beach volleyball. We're excited and we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So Kyle, I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe it's just a little bit of PTSD based upon Maryland openers or other random games in which Texas should, uh, should win handily, but doesn't manage to do so. I spent a lot of my Saturday evening waiting for the other shoe to drop and waiting for things to get weird. And it never did. Like we talked about last week, Texas was a big favorite and managed to somehow cover a 40-point spread, beating ULM 52-10 to en route to a convincing season-opening win. Uh, that first drive looked a little sketchy offensively, but uh, overall, Texas looked good, did what they needed to do against a opponent that they should beat handily, right? Yeah, I mean, right, like, uh, zoom out, Texas won big, not a lot of... Um not no real injuries of, of note um have some guys coming back from you know in this one some guys coming back next week uh from offseason injuries so that's good um got the ones the twos the threes and i mean when we gave our predictions and said what we wanted to see i think both you and i basically said that right like let's cycle get the ones in have them look good enough 
we can get them out, get the twos in, get some tape. And heck, if we're doing well enough, let's see some threes and further down the depth chart. And I think we said that, right? Texas had 76 players play in this game. There was a lot of people on the field, a lot of young players, right? A lot of players we'd heard their names, got game time, got out there. This was a good chance. It's exactly what we wanted from this game. And again, no major injuries. Um, Sark said in his presser, and, and I think you and I said it in the, our initial immediate post-game react, uh, if you're not checking that out i don't know what you're doing with your saturday nights but uh what are you doing <laughs> but check it out um but, but there, there were some things to work on right it, it, it's almost we, we've said on this podcast many times over the years it's it's great to get a really dominant win that still gives the coach some things that he can you know put on a whiteboard and and still yell a little bit about right because you have bama coming in and and you're gonna need to execute and perform almost flawlessly if you if you want to win that game next week and we'll, we'll preview that but ultimately you know good if we want to talk just about Ewers, I I I really like the way he responded. I mean, he threw an interception. We all know that. Um, missed uh, on the first throw. Worthy made a good play to make it not an interception. And then he he settled down a little bit. Stopped trying to only hit the home runs and force the ball in. Took what the defense gave him, some underneath stuff, and went eight consecutive completions. Right. He had a a ball uh, later in the game where he tried to squeeze it in um, to. Uh, to a receiver that was, you know, it, it was it was not the not the throw that he wanted down the field. I think it was worthy again, and he came back immediately and and hit Whittington in a tight window. You know, like between two guys with a, a pass you want to see the step up in the pocket to hit Jatavian Sanders in stride for a big gain. One of the ones down the middle with that seam route. He had a lot to the outside, but um, I, I thought he responded well to some things. There's some some things that you know weren't perfect. Some things you'd want to see. Love to hit any one of those deep shots, um, but you know. First start for a kid who hasn't played a meaningful game in two years. Like we all wanted to see, how does he respond to to adversary? You know, to to not being the best guy in the field who never makes mistakes when when stuff gets adversarial, when stuff gets tough. How do you respond? And I think he did. Yeah, and I mean overall, like you said it, you said it best. This is the perfect opener because Texas cruised. Texas did not have injuries. And there's stuff to coach on, right? Ewers, I was look, I was rewatching the game, and that inter, and that first uh, incompletion that should have been an interception, he had Gunnar Helm wide open underneath for like five yards, right? Yeah. And I think Quinn Ewers later in the game takes that five yards. I think, and again, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. There's this penchant for some young quarterbacks to kind of revert to what got what made them great in high school. Uh, and Ewers, I think, did a little bit of that. And he also probably just got caught up in some of the pregame hype. And I think that was what uh, my biggest takeaway from it. Again, we kind of just dove into the quarterback by habit, but... Like my biggest takeaway from this, from from the quarterback standpoint, is that Quinn Ewers has the arm; he can make the throws, and once he's settled in, he's really willing to take what the defense is given giving him. And that's what my my big question was coming into the game: is a lot of young quarterbacks, like we saw early, and we saw it a couple of times uh, when he was trying to. He really he really wanted to hit that long one to, to X. Um, but there were times, you know, that third, the the fourth down conversion, you know, Sark talked about it in the Monday press conference. That was like the third or fourth read on that. So, like, being confident, comfortable enough to take the check down, which then two plays later, he hit the tight end on a designed wheel route, which, praise hallelujah, like, tight end wheel route with Tavian Sanders is going to be a beautiful thing to watch for years, or at least two years to come, right? Like, so being able to take that check down to set up the bigger touchdown play, like that's what I wanted to see from viewers in this game. Because let's, I'm going to be really honest with you, against Alabama, there's those big chunk plays are not going to be there. So being willing and able to take that, again, you've got a 
five-star tight end, one of the best players in the country in his class in Jatavian Sanders when he came out two years ago. You've got Bijan Robinson, who was one of the best players in his class, one of the, if not the best running back in the country as your other check down option, really. And so having them and his willingness to throw the ball to them when he needed was my biggest takeaway from the game offensively. It was like, okay, yours understands what it's going to take to win football games because the long ball is not always going to be there. They're going to play safeties over the top because they know Sark is going to want to take those deep balls. So is he willing and is he able to take six yards and go again, Second and, second and four, third and four is way, way more desirable than trying to chunk it downfield and end up in a third and ten situation. Yeah, and and, and look, I mean, it's uh, – Sark <laughs> talked about both Alabama and, and he for Alabama probably had the, the game plans done in the summer. I mean, he didn't – it wasn't likely that anything was going to be seen against uh, either of their week one opponents that changed the game plan, but he still – wasn't going to go out and throw everything in week one. Didn't need to, first of all. Um, and, you know, it's a good confidence builder for, for, for Quinn to hit those checkdowns and do the things he did. But, you know, you, you'll imagine you'll see a little bit more. We talked about it in our immediate, both of us, our immediate kind of reaction to the play calling in this one was pretty vanilla, right? I think you will see some more downfield shots. I don't think it's going to be exclusively that, but you will see some more that aren't just, you know, Xavier Worthy beat his man on a streak and you try to get him, right? They're going to scheme some things to really get him those open looks to let Quinn get get some easy ones. Um, not that anything will be easy next week, but, um, you know, I, I think you'll see a little bit more in the play calling going forward. Um, but what I do like to see is that in your base package, just like Gerald said, putting the ball in the hands of Sanders and, uh, you know, Whittington, to some extent, he had two third down conversions. He didn't have a ton. He blocked his butt off. Didn't have a ton of catches. Captain third down. Two third down conversions. Two of Sanders' six catches were fourth down conversions. Helm on a third down, which was his fourth read. You know, like that that type of stuff is really good, right? Ewers, he did get sacked once, but he, he the pocket held enough. He had to move a little bit in it or step up into it, and he looked good. You know, we, that was one of the things we'd heard about him is, is he could make the off-platform throws, and you saw it, right? You saw him step up into a platform as he's throwing the ball and put an absolute bullet on Sanders. You saw, you know, just some, some, some arm talent on a couple of those throws, the window, you know, through a tight window throw to Worthy. Um, one player in the passing game, I think we, we, we talked about the biggest ones, but that I didn't necessarily have on my dance card that we would be talking about as, you know, yardage-wise, our number two re- uh, receiver actually had more than, than Bijan just with one catch, but was Casey Kane, who, who showed a lot more speed and athleticism uh, as our third receiver, right? Imagine that would have been Isaiah Nair had there not been an injury. Um, and so Kane was kind of the, the plug-and-play replacement, but I did not necessarily think he had that level of speed and agility. I knew he was big. I knew he could go up and get a ball, um, a downfield threat, but really like to see that that's just another wrinkle that you can have because teams are going to queue uh, or really kind of keep an eye on, on you know, Whittington underneath on third downs. And you believe everyone in the country uh, who has Texas on the roster now knows the name Jatavian Sanders. Um, so you're going to need a little wrinkle from Casey Kane coming in or, or one of these other guys, right? You know Bijan's coming out of the backfield. You know they're going to try to get their backs involved. So if these other receivers and, and Kane being uh, in this game the most prevalent with his just one catch but, you know, taking it 43 yards with his first career catch uh, really impressed me. Casey Kane was a kid that, I'll be honest with you, in that 2021 class, it almost felt like, you know, Coach Coleman was looking to fill a spot and Kane was a kid that felt like a spot filler. I mean, you don't normally see Texas sign kids in the 800s unless they've got something special. Cough, cough, Savian Red, cough, cough. So 
when Casey Kane came out and, and had that one reception, again, it was just one reception, but the flashes of what he's able to do and the flashes of what he can do in this offense and his ability to, you know, run for some distance. He, I don't know why we didn't see this coming. He's a track kid from New Orleans. So, like, we should have seen his ability to run, like, a mile away. Like, I think any kid from New Orleans can run regardless, right? They just come out of the womb running. But... You know, when we think about the wide receivers, again, you know, Jatavian Sanders, six catches, 85 yards, most receptions by a tight end since 2011, I think DJ Grant, and then most yardage since Jermichael Finley since 2007, awesome. Kyle. We've, we've declared it dead before, but we may be able to soon officially put a nail in the coffin of the curse of Jermichael Finley. We'll see how it goes in a couple of weeks. But I think the thing that stood out to me just as much as the playmaking ability of the wide receivers their ability to play without the ball in their hands yeah. and create for other people, specifically Bijan. I remember it, and I tweeted about it on Bijan's touchdown run. Jordan Whittington put his man in the sidelines. Like Jordan Whittington took his man and put him into the chains. And like Brennan Marion preaches this a lot. Like the way you play without the ball in your hands shows you how much you love your teammates. And if the wide receivers are playing like that and showing that much love for Bijan and for Roshan and for these running backs, this is going to go a long way for Texas to achieving its goals this year. Yeah, and, and look, you, you know that, you know, there's really good running backs in that room. You know they're going to try to get multiple involved. There was sets where they had two running backs back there, you know, an, uh, an ode to DKR or actually a, a 21 pa package that we might see uh, some this go, year. Go, go, Brennan Marion, baby. Uh, no, I love it. I truly love, you know, some go-go elements. Even though Quinn is not a super speedy guy, I think, you know, if they if they choose to fold in a little go-go off the RPO, that that could just be a really, really nice wrinkle to the offense. But, but no, I, I think, you know, you're going to see multiple running backs. And so, yeah, these receivers, the way you get to stay on the field and the tight ends, right? Like, let's let's not forget that. There were some, some – Jatavian Sanders, I think, in addition to playing well, and Sark called it out in his presser, blocked his butt off uh, as well. One, I saw Juan Davis in a couple there, Gunnar Helm in some. Um, so, you know, the, the, the all the tight ends, and when Billingsley gets back, he, he, you know, it'll be expected of him as well, are going to be blocking receivers out on the edge, really make those plays from a five-yard gain to a touchdown for Bijan, right? The, the swing pass was created by, by Whittington holding that block for eight seconds. Um, you know, th those things really matter. Uh, but I, I will give a little bit of, of credit to the, the offensive line, which was the only thing that everyone talked about all offseason. And again, it's ULM. Um, you are going to be more talented than those guys. But still, like, you have so much... Uh, youth, you know, the Jake Majors being the only uh, upper class, in, or excuse me, uh, Christian Jones being the only senior, but Jake Majors being, being you know, he the only other returning starter. Um, you know, th there's just a lot of youth on, on that line. And it wasn't as though through four quarters, you just kept saying, oh, this line, oh, this is going to be a problem. Oh, they're terrible. Now, th there were some things you would have liked to see a little bit better, a little bit cleaner in some pockets, you know, a couple, uh, couple, Times a guy squeezed through and, and, and flushed Quinn out, or you know uh, maybe Bijan with with another two two steps that had a seam could have had runs go even further or whatever. But I, I thought the line was solid, and I think that's what we all asked for, right? Like let's not sit here and change. We we all said this offseason, like just be just be average, just be above average, just be solid. Um, and, and I think that happened. Yeah, and and I think the a lot of my attitude about the game is like I didn't notice those guys. 
which was a good thing. Right. right? Like I had to go back and watch the offensive line to see. Yep. Like in all my rewatch, I usually just watch the game holistically and then go back and rewatch and look at specific positions. And the offensive line wasn't what it was last year, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I think specifically, again, this is a team that they've always been a good run blocking offense, especially with Angulao in there. Angulao's out. But like five line yards per rush, mm-hmm. statistically looking, you're shooting for three. So they're doing okay there. And I think what was emblematic of how the offensive line may have progressed. And again, it's ULM, so it's all taken with a big old grain of salt. But on the Bijan TD, uh, I thought back to our high school offensive line coach telling you telling you in, in you know red zone situations, make your man score a touchdown. And Christian Jones put that defender in the end zone. Like the way that he finished, like that is the attitude you want your offensive lineman to have. Now, Christian Jones is probably a big, his struggles were probably more significant in the pass rushing uh, or in the pass blocking realm last year. But... If Jones has made that mental switch, and if Jones has gotten and turned the corner, and again, Texas doesn't need these guys to be A-plus all the time, because the skilled players can also compensate for it. But if they can get to a B-minus, this is a team that is able and can achieve a, a goal that Steve Sarkeesian has put out for them. And I think as we talk about what We'll talk about Bama on Thursday, right? That's that's not what we're talking about today. But I think as we reflect on ULM, right, Texas was able to do what Texas wanted to do without having to do a whole lot extra. Bijan did what Bijan did, 10 carries, 71 yards, 40 receiving yards, two total touchdowns. Like Roshan had an early touchdown, 34 yards and a touchdown. Jonathan Brooks was, was the one that killed my Godzillatron. Again, it's always good to see JB2K get in, but six six carries, 32 yards, and a, and a touchdown. Our boy Jaden Blue got a, got a little bit of shine. Uh, Keelan Robinson got a touch. Xavier Worthy had a carry as well. But again, I think the only way to describe this game is you were able to stay vanilla and you were able to dominate. And I don't feel like Texas has done that in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can really see it with the you know the 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 last touchdown that went to Jonathan Brooks. There was a point they had all five true freshmen. Um, or maybe a redshirt freshman, all five freshmen at least, um, playing on the threes, right? It was it was not perfect, and Sark said in his presser, you know, the, they're all new, and there was a little bit of miscommunication at the, at the beginning, but then it turned into a 12-play drive that ended in a touchdown, right? That that is is a great feeling and a great sign. Like Gerald said, that's just that's just going out and being better than your opponent. That's just winning each play. That's you know that's just doing the things that should be intangible to you to be the high recruited offensive line you know player that you are at this level. Just go out and win. You don't have to be perfect. You are going to get beat, but just go out and win the next play. And um, much credit to Brooks. I'm not taking anything away. Both his touchdown, Roshan's touchdown, and Bijan Bijan's touchdown run all showed an ability to make guys miss to to you know see the, the the proper read make a cut quickly and get up field and i think that's what choice is is really you know stressing to these guys is is one cut and go and, and they're all pretty good at that that you know type of running right now Bijan's was you know shrug one guy off uh cut left shift your weight back right keep your balance and then get in the end i mean it was ballet it was so beautiful one of one of his best touchdowns i've seen just the amount of things he did in like a three second span of, of body control um but yeah i mean they're, they're gonna be that type of running and i think especially when you look at some of the tough defenses coming up alabama included like get up field get as much as you can it doesn't have to be home runs every time cut get up field get six yards 
live to fight another day, right? And, and I think you got uh, some running backs to do that. I do think with some of the two backs, it, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet as much, but Keelan um, created a lot of eye distraction when they went two backs or when he was coming out of the slot, even for some of uh, the other running backs runs. So he only had the one carry, but I thought he played really well in this game. And I think some credit goes to him. Obviously we did in special teams, um, but you know, the, the fact that uh, he was out there creating a distraction because teams know his speed, what he can do. I, I think we'll see him actually get the ball a little bit more in the future going forward though we said that all here last year so uh, let's see but all in all I agree Gerald uh, great great performance with some some running backs with a running I think we are going to be a, a balanced team who runs the ball a lot obviously with Bijan but you're going to see a healthy dose of Roshan as well he's not going anywhere like that's one of your captains I think you're going to see multiple running backs get in multiple looks multiple types you know they're going to probably chip you saw like Andre Carrot came in at tight end they're going to have different people in a lot of two tight ends a lot of two backs different things you won't just go out with four or five wide probably a ton um, but they're going to try to get their best players on the field and help protect that offensive line and, and get a push on, on you know, running plays all season. I don't think that was an anomaly. I think you're going to see that all season. Yeah, and, and something that I hope we see all season, flipping to the defensive side, it felt like Texas was able to swarm and was willing to swarm more than they have in recent years. And again, it seems like a little thing, but as somebody who's been watching Texas pre the, the the last decade and now in the last 12 years or so, that's the little things have been the big differentiators for Texas. And so the defense played fast. They played swarming. There was never really a solo tackle that I saw in this. Like they were credited as a solo tackles, but there were two, three, four, five, nine bodies around the ball carrier. And that's what you want to see from your defense, especially. And it's part of the reason why Texas had and saw so many broken tackles in years past and why broken tackles turned into chunk plays and turned into touchdowns is because you can run through one arm tackle, but you can't run through nine. That's just, that's just how bodies work, right? That's how football works. If, if there's one guy, one-on-one -on -one guy, I take the offensive guy. If it's one on nine guys, I'm going to take the defense every time. And the guys leading the charge in that were DeMarvian Overshone and Baron Sorrell, who DeMarvian Overshone was all over the freaking field. Best player on the defensive side of the ball. Again, you could, you could have a Sorrell argument, but like either one of those guys, I'm not going to argue with you. But you know, he had eight tackles, two for loss, which was, you know, Texas having having multiple players with multiple tackles for loss in a game. It's also a new thing we didn't see last year. And so those two guys really set the tone and the pace for Texas uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And if again, if you get that from them week in and week out, this week's going to be a real test. The ability of this defense to be, again, we said it preseason, we don't need you to be the best defense of the country. We just need you not to suck. And their ability to play like this gets us past not to suck, and they might be downright okay. Whether it's year two of Kukowski, whether it's Patterson's influence, whether it's guys just wanting to, to take a step up, whatever it is that caused it. We haven't seen, we've seen individual players where we called out Jalen Ford last year. Wow, there's a player who's running downhill, chasing the ball, not giving up on plays, you know, and that seemed exceptional. But you really saw a hive mentality, a unit that just flowed downhill, that just, from the very first play, that just um, went after ball carries, went after the ball there. I mean, Keandre Coburn, a guy who's gotten his, you know, fair share of guff over the years making a, a tackle on the sideline right like chasing a play uh, a couple guys standing up and Keandre Coburn's finishing it off on the sideline that's uh, you know 
700 or uh, 380 uh pounds of human being moving you know from from the center of the field to to the sideline you like to see that you know it it, it was really good i think that the demo edge uh experiment one game small de- data size but i think we can say it's going to be good i'm still curious to see if there's more moving him around in the course of a game that comes in other defensive sets but just putting him on the edge and letting him rush looks pretty good the thing that i liked about him uh a lot just his energy of course his ability to to, to get that initial pressure is something Sometimes we've had rushers in the past who could generate a little pressure and it created, remember OU runs like this, it created running lanes where, you know, people then got up underneath them. It felt like multiple times, multiple players, but I saw Overshone do it himself uh, countless times, gets that initial rush, gets the block on him. And then when he's trying, he's about to do his move to try to beat the guy, he's looking at the quarterback and seeing, do I, do I, you know, is, is, is a run coming underneath here? Is this quarterback who was mobile? Is he going to try to step up and shucking a guy and, and you know sliding back and, and closing that that lane off? Um, I saw a couple of plays. They won't be counted as sacks or even tackles for loss, but where the quarterback who again was their most dangerous weapon and, and is you know quick uh, got tackled for a one yard run. Where you know in years past, if if you don't. And they had a third down conversion where he did wiggle away and do it because he is he's a good athlete. Um, but if you don't make that tackle, that quarterback has 20 easy and it's a game breaker, right? Like so so that play where, you know, we had multiple guys TCU every year, Max Duggan. Exactly. But multiple guys, you know, getting getting their initial weight downhill, putting pressure, but then also their secondary move of of kind of flowing back. Uh, towards the line of scrimmage and, and keeping that quarterback from kind of in contain mode from going too far. Those don't show up on the box score. They're just tackles. But those are, you know, half sacks in my mind, right? You stopped a bigger thing. You got a one-yard rush uh, when he was taking off and could have easily gotten eight or nine. So those are big for me, and, and that comes with energy. Well, and, and I think to your point, the play that Keandre Coburn was credited with a sack was because the defensive end set the edge. There was nothing to the outside, and the quarterback tried to go back in, but Coburn did what Coburn should do at 400 pounds and pushed the offensive lineman back into the backfield, right? So when those two things can happen simultaneously, you create a disruptive play. You create a havoc play. And the more havoc plays you create, the the like the higher likelihood or the lower likelihood of something uh, bad happening for you on the defense or good happening for you on the defense. So we do have to talk about the secondary again. And, and I, I don't mean to be reductive and I'm not trying to be like cheeky here, but this felt like another game where like I didn't notice the defensive backs in a negative light. I did not notice that was a blown coverage. Oh, that was a bad handoff. And again, they weren't perfect. There's a lot to still coach on, but it felt like, you know, Ryan Watts did his job. Jalen Gilbo came in, did his job. Those guys came in and just played what they were supposed to do. Deshaun Jameson finally got to uh, look like the versatile playmaker that he was. And, and Jameson, we'll talk about him again when we talk about special teams, but like that interception, that's what we've wanted to see from him his entire career. He was running with the wide receiver. They moved him and that was a a big change for him is he moved from boundary to field, right? So he, he has more space, capitalize on your speed. He showed it off. He jumped a route and then he took it to the house because he's one of the fastest guys on the field. And with that, he became the first player in school history to have a punt return, a kick return and an interception return for a touchdown. And he could have been a lot farther along in that journey. If these types of things had changed earlier in his career. Yeah, the 69 yards, uh, it was a nice return, where it's also the 13 longest interception return in school history. Um, the, my favorite part about it, and Jamison, great, you know, instincts, great ability to, to when the ball comes to you, have the hands to do it, great instant 
breakup field and obviously the speed, but the guy who, you know, was near the line of scrimmage by the quarterback and turned around and sprinted and made the block that ultimately sealed him. I think, you know, maybe Jameson beats the quarterback one-on-one, but their very athletic quarterback is sprinting back to, to cut off the angle. And Jalen Gilbo, the freshman who's just chomping at the bit to be a part of you know, this defense to, to take this defense a step forward is sprinting, you know, stride for stride with Jamison uh, gets the kind of Nick on the quarterback to, to send him off balance. And then Jamison dives for the end zone. And, and the thing that I loved is Gilbo is celebrating immediately when he makes the block as hard as Jamison, when he sees him dive, he was as happy to get the block that set his teammate into the end zone as Jamison was to be scoring the touchdown. And I love that. I love that team mentality that we're seeing in our secondary. I, we're going to need that, right? We're going to need guys covering for each other. We're going to, we're gonna blow some some assignments. We're gonna have guys win a you know a press. We're gonna have people get open. Like you need to be picking each other up. Um, there was a, I think Jade Barron had a little bit of an ankle injury. He he didn't start, but he did play. Um, but coming into the game, and so that was what Sark credited for Gilbo getting the start. But I think you are gonna see a one A one B. You'll see a lot of Gilbo out there. We said he might be pushing Jamison for that cornerback spot. He's had a great camp. Um, Ryan Watts looks like a difference maker. He looks like. A cornerback. You know, we've had big cornerbacks in Chris Boyd and Holton Hill. NFL cornerback. Shocker. Well, you know, Hill and and Boyd, who both went to the NFL off that secondary, right? And both had their deficiencies, but but certainly made some big plays. But that type of body of just strong, can chuck a guy, can, you know, what I really liked is there was a point Watts was inside on a on a short field run and and you know got downhill and made a hit and I thought I was like which linebacker oh that's Watts you know because he he made all like everything look natural to him to get to the point of attack spring into a tackle deliver you know at the point of attack and 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 push you know a ball carrier back uh on contact like it just looked like what you see from your linebackers so uh I was excited to see that I think it's it's great to have that 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 really physical presence who can, you know, just get in and, and you know, take a, a receiver out of the game, help in the run game, help, uh, you know, limit big plays that way. So I, I think it's really great. We didn't see a ton from the safeties, um, which is a good sign. Like Gerald said, I think, you know, they, they shut down, uh, especially with the, the early game, the, a lot of the, the you know, error uh, for, for anything long. So, you know, it, we talked about needing complimentary football. We need a rush off the edge, which helps the defensive backs. We need the defensive backs to jam some guys to not let easy, quick, you know, three-step throws be there. Um, take away, you know, seam routes that, that may have gotten us in the past. And, and it worked, right? We got some sacks. We gave didn't give up, you know, a ton in the air. I will 1,000 days uh, of the year, that's three years, uh, give 167 passing yards in a game, right? Like if we're under 200 yards, in the modern college football, I will take that every single game. I think that's fantastic. Also, not giving up 100 yards to go with it, fantastic. Like, I think the defense was was great. I think Baron Sorrell really is is looking like he could be that edge player we've been looking for. I hope he can continue it. Um, all in all, the, I mean, just the the identity of the defense, if they are going to be a chase after you, you can you can always coach a little bit of technique. You can't coach effort. And, and it 100% looked like they had effort they they were they were playing as a unit they were swarming like i will take that all day make some mistakes fine we'll, we'll get over it if you give that effort and and i really liked what i saw through all four quarters yeah every football coach at every level has said something along the lines of when you get into a game, I don't care if you screw up, but screw up going full speed, mm-hmm. right? Like that's always been, I, I heard that going back to Pee Wee's, right? 
you may forget your assignment. Run as ha- as hard and as fast as you can as the at the guy with the football, and good things might work out, right? Like obviously, we want them to play well, we want them to play the technique, but like that, the effort, right? The the effort, the downhill flowing, the gang tackling, those little things, the differentiators for Texas, uh, will continue to to grow and to blossom and to be what we need Texas to be moving forward. Now, as we talk about little things. Special teams. There was some good. There was some bad. There was some in between. Texas yep. opened it up with a great special teams play. You know, held ULM to a three and out. Deshaun Jameson came up with a blocked punt. Again, another first in school history. Became the first player to ever return a punt for a touchdown and block a punt. So again, great first for him. Keelan Robinson recovered it. Got a, the easiest touchdown of his career right there. Uh, Texas was about a, a fingertip away, a fingernail away from its second block in the in the fourth quarter. But like that was an incredible outing and, and that shows the Jeff Banks difference from year to year. Yeah, right. Like the the we look at special I think well I'll say the 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 average person who looks at special teams because we think of everything on from the scoreboard says how did how do we how do we kick field goals? Did they go in? Right? That's and that's the extent of special teams. And that's a portion of it for sure. Right? And we've had some fantastic kickers. There was a New York Times article, you know, this week about why Justin Tucker and how he became the the greatest of all time, right? Like the you know, it, it, I love it. I love great kickers, but Banks, I'm sure, would be the first to tell you in the, his philosophy of putting his best athletes, um, regardless of what side of the ball they're, they're, they're starting on, where they are in the depth chart, putting his best athletes on the field is paying dividends in the other areas. I think, like you, you called it, the, the getting pressure on the punts, the punt returns, even like Xavier Worthy. A little bit of a cardiac uh, roller coaster when Take he's back there, right? He he picked up a uh, picked up a ball off a of bounce with a crowd around him, and and got a zero yard return. He had one where he you know reversed the field for a seventy yard uh, run that got him twenty one yards of return because he ran all the way across and back. Um, ran sixty to get twenty. Yeah, but uh, you know it also worthy was like one more inch away from the sideline angle being shut down from that being a home run touchdown, right? Like he has the game breaking his, his next return on the other sideline was, you know, was good uh, with, with speed that, uh, that he got out of bounds, but he picked up, you know, 12, 15 yards before it. And it's great return. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think there's, there's, they can come for the ball in, in situations. They can stay back and block, no holding, no penalties on the special team, which is huge, right? Usually a return like that with worthy, when someone goes back to slingshot around, you see somewhere a block in the back, a holding, because you're, cha- you're reversing the field. You're changing the the angles, the points of, of attack for, for these blockers, and everyone did a good job of making sure they got in the way, but it's better just to be in the way for a player than try to get the block and get a penalty. Did a great job. I really like that. Um, I think, you know, on special teams coverage, they, they were they were good on, on punts when they got them away. On kickoffs, uh, they were able to get down and make tackles. Overshone had a big tackle there, too, right? So I think... Um, that looked good. Uh, some handling of the football from our specialists, which we knew would be an issue, right? Uh, the holder on a field goal, uh, Pearson on a, on a, on a punt um, slipping. I think maybe you just wanted to show off the Aussie rules football skills because I love Pearson. I'm going to give him that benefit of the doubt. But it looked a lot like Dixon, right? We talked about that, these Australian punters. It, 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 under the lights, it's a little bit different, right? It's just a little bit different game than 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 what they're used to, and so um, that will be something to watch. Uh, field goals. There was a very clear. We went for it four times on fourth down. We got all three of them, or excuse me, three times on fourth down. We got all three of them. But there is a point where it's like, if we had Dicker, we might go for that field goal. But currently, there isn't a confidence outside of 
let's call it 46 yards, 45 yards. We're, we're probably not going to kick that at this point in the season. And we'll see where guys develop and where Sark's, you know, the game situation where his head is. But it is going to be a little bit different, right? We, we probably won't be kicking a ton of 50-yard field goals unless we absolutely have to. We probably, you know, uh, may not kick every kickoff out of the back of the end zone like we have in years past. It's just a little bit different. Yeah, and I think you know Pearson had the had the um, the fumble the the kind of miss not fumble but like mishandle on both of those kick um, on both of those special teams plays as the holder and then as the punter and again the rugby style punt worked out that's why you get these Australian guys in there because well they can do those types of things but I think we saw Texas make the change and put in Machete after that second kind of fumble slip from Isaac Pearson so there may be some competition there Sark mentioned it this week that they're going to cl- try to clean it up but I think. That is a question you have to clean up going into Alabama because, and we'll talk about this on Thursday, there are like three, you know, there are always four likely outcomes to a game, and two of them require you to have a, a, a successful kicker uh, in the game. And so uh, as we close this out, Podstradamus, Kyle, you hit on one of yours. Texas had three sacks, which good on you. Texas didn't do that all year last year, so uh, you definitely Podstradamus to that one. Uh, but you missed on Texas rushing for more than 200 yards. They finished with 134, but that's really just because they like, you know, they pulled Bijan after 70. They pulled uh, Roshan after, you know, things went downhill. They could have gone well. I missed on, or I hit on Texas allowing less than 20 and a half. I think I should probably get double points for that since they'd hit uh, half of 20 and a half, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh, and then even though you wanted to give me credit for this we did not hit it texas had three different players with a receiving touchdown i missed on that one so we're tied currently one to one in pod stradamus we'll be back on thursday to preview the alabama game we'll have obviously more pod stradamus picks for you there as well but we're excited to bring you our next preview show on thursday one of the things we did last year and we want to kind of do again this year is we want to we want to look at the Big 12 and kind of what the rest of it is as far as it impacts Texas and how it goes around. So quickly around the Big 12, starting with the earliest two games, uh, Oklahoma State built a big first half lead but had to uh, have a little squeaky bum time against Central Michigan 58 to 44 Pittsburgh and West Virginia in the backyard brawl. That was an absolutely insane game, but uh, Pitt came back on a pick six uh, from uh, West Virginia quarterback and uh, JT Daniels and won that one 38 to 31. That might have been like in a, in a game, in a week of crazy games like that. I feel like we should have known that the week was going to be wild with that one being like Thursday night. Like everyone was watching it. We should have known something special was going to happen this week. College football is back. It's beautiful. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people watch the Texas A&M game. That looked like it was not certain. Uh, Sam Houston just doesn't have the talent. They're usually a top 25 team at the FCS level. They got zero votes this year. They're just not a good team, but you could tell that if they were a more talented FCS team, they could have given Aggie some trouble. So I think maybe that number next to Aggie's name will will grow for sure as they also blood in a freshman quarterback. Probably a lot of people watched that one and saw B.J. Foster get an interception at the Aggie. So good on him. Um, you know, the, the NC State game, though I, they're not an opponent on our schedule or the Big 12, I did in my season preview predict a Cheez-It Bowl versus NC State when they struggled a little bit from being overrated, They, um, which I think they're a good team, but 13 is a, is a you know low number. Um, they almost lost to East Carolina 
of basically a wild one in that one where they just you know missed a, a field goal at the end, but had multiple crazy things. That UNC Mac Brown App State game just w- w- stupid wild um, basketball score going back and forth. The fourth quarter of that one was nuts. Um, Arkansas, I was curious to see how good they would be this year, just because they were on our schedule last year. They they beat the darling Cincinnati, um, who it shows right when you're not these elite teams you can be in the playoff one year and it just takes a cycle or two to reload for for most teams right Cincinnati looks like they're going to be a bit down but Arkansas looks pretty good um I did think UTEP gave OU a little bit of trouble in the first half uh UTSA who's coming up on our schedule gave Houston everything they could handle um I, I think they're both good teams I think you know UTSA is going to be a big 12 level team i'll say that like i don't know if they are a top 25 team necessarily they could sneak in there um maybe depending on their schedule but they are going to be as tough as pretty much most of the big 12 teams uh on our schedule so it's certainly not one to overlook georgia looks like they're a world better than than everyone else and uh and yeah i mean even even the 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 lincoln riley experiment rice did some things early on against usc to make that one a little bit interesting so texas having just a no you know stress game when when a lot of teams uh, did you know? I, I think it's great. Like um, I was watching side by side with the Ohio State Notre Dame at the same time, and Notre Dame looked like they were you know had a chance in the first half of that one of, of getting the upset. So um, everyone in week one, you know, it's just a reminder. We all live through Maryland. We live through those things. It's always crazy. But if I'm probably the most uh, upset with a win fan base in the country for me out of week one is Oklahoma State. When you let that much of a comeback to Central Michigan, who has an experienced running back, right? Last year's leading rusher, but they don't have a whole lot um, outside of that. And they were able to throw the ball on them. Like it just, you got a lot to work on on that defense when that was the strength of your team last year. So those Spencer Sanders look great against a weak CMU defense. I think you definitely have some questions about where uh, Derek Mason and your your, your new defense is going to be. Jim Knowles ain't walking through that door. Around the rest of the Big 12, Kansas took care of Tennessee Tech 56-10. to The drive for three continues. TCU handled Colorado 38-13. Iowa State beat up on SEMO 42-10. to You mentioned Oklahoma on top of UTEP 45-13. to Kansas State uh, all over South Dakota State 34-0. Baylor 69-10 to against Albany. Like, that is... We'll just we won't make any jokes about Baylor, but um, just think about that one. Texas Tech on Murray State, sixty-three to ten. And then obviously Texas, fifty-two to ten. The Big Twelve outside of 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 you know those first two Thursday night games, and those Thursday night games are always weird, right? But like the Big Twelve was the really arguably the most one of the most solid conferences out there, uh, going you know nine and one with with the one being a a, uh, a tight game and honestly would have been a candidate for the game of the week if not the rest of the weekend happening and so many incredible games uh, happening. So obviously we'll whip around the Big Twelve continually, but all in all, it's going to be an interesting year in the Big Twelve. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down. The 40, uh, the big story, Kyle, the big story. Number one, volleyball continues to march through the rest of the country and the rest of the top 15 like a hot knife through butter, dominating number 12 Stanford, a uh, 3-0 sweep to improve to 4-0 and overall. All of those are top 12 wins. And in a year where we think Texas is going to be good at a lot of sports, it seems like volleyball is setting the pace uh, and setting the uh, the tone early and often. I think – I don't know if there's been enough uh... – 
eyes, enough praise, enough attention paid um, to Zoe Fleck coming in as the libero on this team. Um, you know, we, we knew she was going to be good. She was a, a preseason All Big Twelve. She was uh, All Conference at least, if not All American, previously um, before she transferred in. She she looked. I mean, she looks like one of the best defensive players in the country. There's just balls that find a way to the floor in years past. And and though we bring in Skinner, who's, you know, elite, and we bring in um, some backline players and, and, and a lot of talent. I mean, a really great setter uh, from Utah. Like, we've brought in a ton of talent to supplement a really good team already. Um, Fleck was named the, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week, and, and, it, and she really should be getting national honors. I mean, she had... Uh, uh, against, I believe, against Minnesota, she just short of the all-time Longhorn rec- record set by Cat McCoy in 2016 uh, for digs in a single match. Right, like she had 26 digs in a match. She just, uh, like, she's just really, really, really good. And I think it allows Texas to do a lot of things with her in there. And again, they, they, there's probably 10 players who who you could name who had a big moment, a big play uh, in these these past few opening matches. But Texas bit off one of the most probably the, the toughest schedule in the country to open the season when out of conference big 10 uh out to california to play a, a, you know a ranked stanford had minnesota at home um but still a top 10 big 10 team like they 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 aren't backing down from anyone and i think they rightfully look like the best team in the country yeah and you mentioned it, like a lot of uh, transfer players had some big uh, moments. Uh, Sage Kahayana Aina Torres had 11 digs in that matchup. Uh, so, like, the the reload and the rebuild of the roster, Jared Elliott seems to – we had questions about how it would work out, and Jared Elliott seems to, unsurprisingly, uh, have hit the nail on the head and done what he needed to do uh, for Texas to be successful. Speaking of doing what Texas needs to be successful, we talked about this uh, briefly last week with our friend Brett uh, when we talked about Director's Cup dates. But the man, Podstradamus himself, is honestly <laughs> at this point, we're going to start calling him. Uh, but he said that it would be smart for Texas to add beach volleyball as an easy uh, intercollegiate uh, additional school to pad the Director's Cup rankings. And well, uh, like t- 36 hours after we recorded that, uh, Texas announced that they were adding beach volleyball as sport number 21. Uh, beach volleyball itself is a relatively new NCAA sport, only been competing for championships for about uh, six years now, six seasons uh, of championship uh, competition there. Yeah, I mean, he, he mentioned on the pod, right? Del Conte got that program started at TCU. TCU became a you know a power in in that um, pretty quickly. I think we've heard that there's going to be some synergy between this and the volleyball team we just talked about, right? The the indoor volleyball, and I will never, you know, I hope beach volleyball really catches on and is great, but there will nothing will ever replace you know, the volleyball team in Gregory just as the best atmosphere on campus. But I'm excited to go to a beach volleyball game like for support UT. I think that would be fun, right? Like it's just going to be going to be great. And and I think, you know, pretty instantly Texas will become uh, a player in that field just because they are one of the Blue Bloods all-time volleyball powerhouses. And when you think about the region, like the general south, especially in Texas, in the center of the country, they are the volleyball school. You know, they they control a large swath uh, of the country. They're going to get some great players and, and, you know, have some great, insight they brought in two two coaches uh, on the staff who were from uh who are from california uh at the beachiest schools uh in the country so you know they they already they already seem ready to uh, to have that as we would say in the business world oc uh about beach volleyball and i think they will be uh i think they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with very quickly 
So Texas will play like a limited schedule in 2023 uh, and then kind of get their full schedule going. It's a fully sanctioned team in 2024. Soccer uh, continues to have a strong start to the season, improving to 3-1-1 one, one on the year. Went out to uh, Eugene and tied them 1-1, one one, a good uh, squad there, and then came from behind to beat Gonzaga 3-2 to two to close out their little West Coast two-step. Yeah, it was two different games, right? Against Oregon, they controlled the game and just couldn't get the winner. Um, they 18-6 to six outshot the Ducks, uh, but the Ducks were able to sneak one in towards the end of the game to equalize, and, and Texas really couldn't ever get that second goal against Gonzaga. Gonzaga got up early, 2-0, and Texas had to fight back and score the next three goals. Really, you know, really valiant effort from them. Trinity Byers, good, just, you know, she's been back, uh, you know, pretty much. She, she came back in the North Carolina game, but had no practice time with the team, basically, from her international duty. So it seems like she's really settling in, uh, getting getting good uh kind of rhythm with her teammates now leads the team uh, in goals. She had the opening goal against Gonzaga. Lizzie Warden, the, the freshman who's kind of taking uh, a spot and making it hers on the team the way Missimo and Byers did last year. Um, and then MJ Cox, who had her second match winner of the season uh, coming from deeper in the midfield. Um, I, it's just, I think it's great. Like I, there, there's a lot of names, a lot of weapons. Your only loss this year is to uh, the number one team in the country. So, I mean, it, it, they're a really young team uh, with a lot of their, their upfront play and, and weapons. And I think by the end of the season they should be really sharpened into a dangerous uh, team you don't want to face yeah Texas again continues to uh, build and that's going to be a squad that hopefully can can score some director's cut points for the Longhorns uh, as the season close out speaking of a team that Brett mentioned that needs to get some director's cut points cut, uh, cross country swept the tornado watch invitational for the second year in a row getting that season off to a hot start uh, including some young runners setting the pace for Texas yeah, sophomore Isaac Alonzo getting there, winning the men's 5K, Beth Ramos, who uh, you'll remember was the lone competitor sent to nationals uh, last year on the women's side one. The women's 5K, um, they, they basically, you know, this is kicking it off, getting started. They'll split up the teams uh, in three weeks when they compete again, the women heading to Eugene, Oregon, and the men heading to Stillwater for the Cowboy Jamboree that weekend of September 23rd and 24th. There is a, a new coach, of course, for the cross-country team. Um, and, I, you know, it, it, it was curious to see how they would handle kind of uh, a, a late replacement there, but they seem to have uh, literally, I'm going to use a pun here, and it is intended, hit the ground running. Nice. Uh, Oklahoma State, sneaky good cross-country squad there. And then finally, the football team for on the recruiting side added a its third piece to the 2024 class. Four-star Hunter Modon out of Clear Lake in the Houston area. Number 113 overall, number 13 player in the state of Texas. Yeah, it looks like a specimen. You just watch the tape on him. Uh, he's He's... Big body looks like he could be that outside receiver. Um, twenty twenty four, I believe, means you know they're juniors this year, just starting, and so his tape that you saw when he committed was mainly his sophomore year, and so as a sophomore who's already contributing on a varsity team, right? You you, you can you can see why that guy may take a playoff on a running play, but with with what I really liked from his tape was Moden was again as as a could be a big man on campus go to your head you know, best receiver on your team as a sophomore was out there blocking his tail off. And I love seeing that. We just talked about that's what Coach Marion looks for. I believe his first offer was actually from Marion while he was still at Pittsburgh. So um, a guy that Marion has, has, you know, targeted pretty quickly and early and, and said it's his type of, of player and his type of, of uh, guy who can both make plays and, and help create plays for others. Uh, I think it's a great fit and I'm excited for it. 
yeah, he's he's one of those multi-sport stars. He does track kid, a sprint relay kid. I think he also plays basketball, maybe. Uh, so, like, he's, again, a multi-sport kid, long jumper, so he's explosive. Uh, but he's a guy that, again, I think what Texas is is loading the cupboard and kind of loading uh, the barrel for the, big tw- for the SEC. And he's the kind of kid that can really be a dominant player. He's one of those guys that Sark likes to have. He honestly is very much in the Casey Kane um, mold. Again, uh, more heralded than Casey Kane coming out but a big, big kid who's faster than he should be uh, at that size. Now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, I feel like I'm swerving a little bit into your lane with this one because I know how you have a uh, very well-established opinion about the Big 12, and I'll let you, or excuse me, about the NCAA, but equally inept institutions, uh, but about the NCAA (laughs) um, and whether it should continue to exist in the future. Um, But there was, you know, it feels like we've had these every couple months lately, but a... Uh, a, a ground shifting kind of announcement that came out um, this week. Uh, the college football playoff uh, committee announcing they will officially be expanding to 12 teams, right? And and it, it felt like a lot of people saw this coming. Most people agreed with it. I was surprised to see the number of people who were against it. But anyways, um, it, it felt like, you know, there was a lot of pettiness and territorial squabbling that, that maybe kept this from happening initially. And then basically money speaks and the, the, the college football playoff CEO and, and those decision makers on that side just took control and said, nope, this is what we're going to do. Um, and basically, right, you, you've, you've gotten to a point where the playoff, interestingly, better than the, than, than the BCS system, if you will, um, you know, it, in the hundred some odd 50 years of college football, only the past really 30 have, have tried to say, this is who the outright winner is. I mean, look at A&M and even Alabama to some extent, you know, they love to claim a national title. There's been disputed things and to try to get around that they've solidified it. Right. And first it was BCS and the computers weren't as good as they should have been then. Now they're they're They've, they've gone to a playoff and, and eh, we saw some flaws. So this is the next iteration. And this one really makes sense. And, I, and there were some things in this that I really liked and, and I think are great. There's a couple tweaks, you know, I hope they get to. Um, but going to 12 teams, uh, the, the top four will get a buy. So basically your four best SEC teams, I kid. Um, but your top four will get a buy. And my favorite part about it is they are going to be playing uh, some of these games, opening round games on campus or at times at neutral yeah, at neutral sites, but bringing it on campus, like which is just will be such a cool atmosphere and experience, right? Imagine a bowl game in Texas makes whatever bowl, but it's played at home. Like it's exciting. People get up for it. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting. There are those who don't like necessarily the uh, what it does to the regular season. It makes the, the season longer. Um, I, I understand. And there, there can be tweaks. I get it. But I think all in all, this is a huge win. A huge step forward, right? That we we spent the entire offseason bellyaching. That college football is dead. We're paying players. NIL. SEC expansion. Everything's wrong. It's bad. It's terrible. And what did we all do? We all just spent, you know, 96 am i doing my math right hours uh however many thursday to monday i guess honestly when we're recording this clemson is playing um but glued to the tv and football has been good i mean good in the way that you miss an extra point getting blocked and lose after a 98 yard drive like that college football kind of good like it's dumb and stupid but i love it and it's beautiful it has been a perfect college football weekend honestly like this has been great and so like all the belly aching it's like oh 
we'll, we'll keep adapting. We'll make it work. It'll still be great. Um, I'm happy with this. And, and, and honestly, I think everyone probably should be. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned it like the BCS was the first time that the there was really an established and codified college football champion. And that was that came around in 1998. Like we act like there's there's this. And again, college football is all about mythology and all about history and rivalries. That's why uh, the backyard brawl was so fun. And college football is changing. Yes. But like. There is an opportunity to create something cleaner. And, and again, if the playoff is killing air quotes college football for you, then quit watching ESPN coverage, right? Just go watch the games. Don't worry about the pregame show. Don't worry about because that's really what it is. And so part of like what I would love to see in this is like changing who covers the national championship every year because ESPN does that because they have the exclusive rights to it. So they gain quite a bit from us all just talking about the championship. But when push comes to shove, um, the argument is like, well, there aren't 12 teams that are capable of winning a national championship every year. There aren't 120 NCAA basketball teams either but we all shut down for March to watch that tournament so like I love college football and I am so excited for this I think it's going to be fun I think it's gonna be interesting and again if the opera if if Texas squeaks in at 12 and gets in the playoff you you bet your hiney that I'm gonna beat my chest that Texas is a playoff team because one or 12 doesn't matter in is in and, and so I'm so excited uh, to see this I'm banging the drum this week on staying above the fray I talk a lot about social media and how Texas fans act on social media. And this is going to be of all of the dumb weeks for Texas fans on the Twitter bot and on social media in general, this potentially is going to be the dumbest because everybody is watching this game. Everybody has a take about this game. Baylor fans are pissy because ESPN for some reason decided not to go to Provo, Utah. Who's wanted to go to Provo, Utah to cover a game. Uh, Not a lot of people in a long time have wanted to do that. And, and so there's that, like they're, there's this right game over here. And why are they going to Alabama and Texas and Austin? Because it's Alabama and freaking Texas, right? Like get over yourself. You're not that big of a deal. Uh, but like I, I sit here and I think about um, all of the other conversations that are happening, whatever the outcome of the game, if Texas doesn't win this thing on, on, on Saturday, it's going to be dumb. And so I'm inviting you to try to stay above the fray, right? Go into this with the right set of expectations, going into this with the right mindset and understand that, And Steve Sarkeesian said it on Monday. The goal for this season was a Big 12 championship. The goal for the season is to play in December. And whatever happens against Alabama does not impact that goal. So try to stay above the fray. Don't let the trolls from AM get into you. They're going to feast on another FCS opponent because they feast on the carcasses of the damned each and every week until they get to SEC play. And then they lose four games. And that's fine. That's what they do. They're going to bang their chests on winning four SEC games a year. Let them do it. It's fine. Like, stay above the fray. OU fans are going to try to poke you on it. Whatever. They're going to go play Sisters of the Poor on Sooner Vision. Nobody's going to be able to see it. Like, just stay above the fray. It doesn't matter. The college football world is looking at Austin for a reason, right? And that the Alabama Crimson Tide, the best team in the country, in the world of college football and sports period for the last decade is coming to one of the most storied programs in the country and in college football. Even in the worst years, Texas draws more than any other school. And it is what it is. It is Texas eliminated from bowl contention, drew more eyes, six times the eyes than the Baylor Bears who were on the verge of playing for a conference championship in week 13 last year. 
There's a reason why they're coming to Austin. Stay above the fray. Don't get drawn down in the muckraking and BS that's going to happen. And just enjoy whatever happens on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Alabama is almost an underdog the way opposing fan bases are rallying to support them in this game. Like, it's (laughs) wild. It's wild, I'm sure, for Alabama fans. Like, where? why do we have all of these allies? Why are... You know, Baylor fans and Tech fans and OU fans. Like, why are all these people hyping us up in, in, in the mentions? It's, it's got to be a surreal experience for them. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that ESPN was not lured into um, into to, into covering the uh, – I think we're going to call it the unethical bowl, right? We're, it, it, I've seen some other <laughs> names bandied about. Um, I, I, I won't uh, – I won't – tip uh what any specific writer at bon may have titled the bigot bowl but it's it's fine um uh, i'm glad they're coming to, to texas to austin uh if texas is is truly you know an unranked team which they have the talent to be ranked much higher they have the track record from last year uh that, that doesn't say it i also think preseason polls should be abolished so there is no such thing as a ranked team uh in week two but that's a different conversation um but if texas can still draw just remember like we are the joneses if football does what it needs to do and you don't have to judge the whole season by next week but get out there support it make sure you find a place to watch this game if you can't be there in person um and see where this team is but don't base everything on where this team is against the best events in the country uh two of the heisman favorites on one on each side of the ball right like it's it's a really good team and texas is a team that is young and growing and man they might just do something stupid but both big noon saturday crew and the espn college game day crew are going to be there that just tells you something all eyes in the world are on texas waiting to see are they back and, and honestly for most of them probably hoping praying and dreaming that they aren't they hate us and they, they they're not ready for us to be back Remember, kids, the reason why they make fun of Texas being back is because they're scared of Texas being back. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We will be back on Thursday previewing this matchup against the Alabama Crimson Tide. You don't want to miss it. And we'll be back on Saturday. I'll be back. Kyle's going to be in Austin, but I'll be back for a post-game live stream with a special guest on Saturday to recap that one for you. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hawk yeah. Hawk yeah.